you are looking live. So, welcome to the Boluminati podcast. So, uh, we changed the name. You either get the reference or you don't. If you don't, look it up or ask us on Twitter or follow along in the comments because I'm sure somebody will explain it to you. We went with the Illuminati and we just sort of played off Illuminati and made it Illuminati. That was kind of the extent of what we were doing, you know, going there. We're not saying we're like the Illuminati of USF. That would be funny. It would also not be true. But people who sit around and talk about USF, we thought Illuminati was funny. Uh, we are in our homes again. We couldn't get to a studio because I had stuff to do all day. Nate had stuff to do all day. I think we're still like hurricane logged. Is that kind of fair to say? We're still dealing yeah. with hurricane things. Yeah. Still trying to catch up. Still trying to catch up. I was in an event tonight. I have another thing in the morning. I have another thing in the morning. So like, um, we are putting this together at 1133 PM on a Tuesday and we're only doing it on Tuesday because the game is on Thursday. So um, by the time you hear this podcast, it will be the day before the game. Yeah. So interesting week at USF, but we'll probably get the football later in this podcast because like so much other stuff's going on. But first thing we want to do is plug our T-shirts. So it looks like people are getting them because they keep tweeting me pictures of their T-shirts. I don't have mine yet. I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> I like developed the T-shirt. I like worked on get make it happen, but I don't have mine yet. But apparently a lot of other people do. Um, if you haven't had a chance to go buy it yet, the people who do have them say it's like a really high quality T-shirt, which is good. Um, if you got our FSU shirts from last year, I might not have used as high a quality a fabric as is being used on these T-shirts. Just know that going in, that you're getting something that will wear for quite a long time. And it looks pretty good, too. And you get also help support your favorite football team and your favorite website that writes about your favorite football team. Nate, what else we, we got here? Uh, well, I think we can just jump right in and to recap Illinois. Uh, we finally had a game after a Irma-strucken game. We got another game on board, so I think we'll just go straight to that. Um, I know I was impressed by the offense and the 47-23 beatdown of the fight in Lovie Smiths. Um, what, what did you see? I saw an offense that looked like the Gulf Coast offense again. I saw an offense that was not afraid to use things like empty sets, that was not afraid to put five out in the pass pattern, that was still willing to run the ball between tackles to set up play-action shots. I saw four verticals. I saw screen passes. I saw passes to running backs. I saw what all of us had come to know as what, is the best way to put USF athletes in space against inferior talent to win football games. Uh, I saw Quentin Flowers be not perfect, but better. Looked more comfortable out there. Uh, I saw just the, the, it's so ridiculous how many skill guys USF has that you trust. They mm -hmm. are so deep and so talented at those positions. And it just really opens up everything. And the other thing I saw was this defense. Hey, you know what? Like, they still haven't, let's be fair, they haven't played anybody yet, but they tackle better. They're faster to the ball. They seem to make less mistakes. You don't see huge coverage busts like you did before. Mm -hmm. I don't know, man. Um, it, I think they can play as well as they did on Friday. And that level of game, you know, B, B plus, somewhere in that range is probably good enough to beat everybody left on the schedule. Absolutely. 
Uh, what what impressed me with the defense is uh, I don't know if it's good or not, but they had 32 total tackles. 30 were solo. That's really good. Now so, that might be uh, score. That might be scorers' errors too, because let's you know stat crew sometimes not too generous with the assists. No, but I, I found that very interesting. Yep. So 30 solos led by Ronnie Hodgson's four, and then just everyone. Got involved, uh, except for Augie Sanchez, funnily enough, did not record a tackle in this game. Weird. Very, Very weird. weird. Yeah. Uh, it just, just one of those things, I guess. Um, Dietrich Nichols had another great game at uh, Nickelback, and Pro Football Focus, the college site, actually put him on the national team of the week. Uh, he had Ooh. he was one of, he was one of the highest graded corners. I think he was like a ninety ninety one point three was his rating for the week. He had two pass breakups, two tackles, and a tackle for a loss. So he has definitely been a spark at the at the nickel position for us defensively. Greg Reeves had another good game, three tackles and a sack. You know, Hoggins also had the interception that was you know thrown to him perfectly in stride. It just you know. He, does not play for Illinois, unfortunately, for uh, Chase Crouch. But other than that, I'm super impressed by the defense. They've shown up, and I think this week they will play with a chip on their shoulder after getting absolutely torched by Temple last year. So USF with 376 yards rushing, three different guys rushed for 100 yards, Flowers, Tice, Johnson. First time that's happened maybe last year, the um, and that's only the second time in program history. Mm-hmm. Quentin Flowers, 15 to 27, 280 and four, a one INT. Uh, receivers wise, nobody breaks 100. That's this, the funny thing about this team is that with the depth, you know, Scantling, I think this is the second game now Scantling's led in yardage, but it's very possible that you might not see, you know, USF ever have a receiver crack you know, 125, 150 yards all season just mm-hmm. because of the way that the ball gets spread around. Kicks are a problem, you know. <laughs> I don't think we're saying anything that, that people don't know. You know, field goals can't happen. Blocked, blocked PATs can't happen. And that's got to get cleaned up. And, Nate, you're going to cover that a little bit more in depth this week on this here website. I am. But, yes, very excited. But, um, you know, that once we get that cleaned up, I think uh, – I like USF's chances in the future. Yeah. That's, you know, special teams is, you know, of all the things to clean up, it's probably the easiest to do. It, sometimes it's just personnel. Sometimes it's, you know, maybe yeah. you're a little more reticent to put a starter out there on special teams. Maybe you do it if you're having a leak somewhere. You just put a guy out there that that's more that's more capable. Yeah. Um, um, what, but what's frustrating is the, on three of the four block kicks, it is a starter or a guy that is heavily involved in the offense that has kind of missed the call or missed the block. Uh, Titan Kano Dillon, two of the four blocks are partly his fault. San Jose State, he just completely whips on the block, and his guy is the one that blocks the kick. Luckily, he makes the tackle to save the touchdown for you know 20 more seconds before San Jose State punches it in. But, yeah. It's a starter or someone who is, you know, right behind Mitchell Wilcox that's making the mistake 
on special teams. And then against uh, Illinois, it was Marcus Norman, um, his his partner on the left side, Nicholas uh, Manura, who doesn't start and switched to fullback slash tight end in the offseason. They went wide and just missed the block and let someone come straight through their blocks. And it's, it's frustrating because you, you know Marcus Norman's great right tackle for us. Um, he's been, you know, Charlie Strong said he was one of the mainstays on that line so far this year. He's one of the more impressive guys, along with Eric Mason, Jeremy Hall. But you can't have those miscues on special teams, and you can't have them over and over again. So that needs to be cleaned up uh, ASAP as possible. For the defense, and again, they're not facing, you know, like some fantastic offense here. But mm-hmm. here's the drive, here's the drive chart for Illinois for the first three quarters. Punt, punt, pick, punt, punt, touchdown, punt, 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 touchdown, pick. Or actually, no, check that. Take away the last two, because that was still in the third quarter. So punt, punt, pick, punt, punt, touchdown, punt, punt, punt. Okay. I can deal with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's really good. They're getting off the field. They're putting their the offense in position to win. Um, you can say what you want about Illinois not being any great shakes, but I don't know if last year's team, you know, can force seven out of eight punts in the first three quarters when it's still a football game. Not a chance. And, and so that is definite progress. They need to do it against a better team. Uh, they need to show that they can do it consistently, but I kind of like the direction things are heading. So on Tyree McCants touchdown, did you notice what they did? It um, was they threw him the it, ball. They did. Uh, it was the 13-yard touchdown. It was a great, you know, back shoulder catch by him. But what they did was he was lined up as the outside receiver, but they brought the splits in. And the, uh, the slot receiver kind of drove up the middle, took the safety up the seam, and Tyree went horizontal to the line of scrimmage and then shot up the right sideline. So it was like, it was like a screen and go, but it was a screen to him, and then he went. Like it, it was a very interesting call. I, I'm sure we saw it a couple times last year, but definitely the first time this year that we've seen it, and it worked. Um, I mean, there was a lot of plays that Sterling Gilbert pulled out of his back pocket for this game that, you know, it turned out it worked. You know, the roll right, screen left to Dearness Johnson for oh, you know, the touchdown was just beautiful, sexy. It was sexy. That yeah. and, and the MVS touchdown where Quentin rolls the pocket left the protection holds up, but he just moves the pocket anyway. And then MBS goes to the deep corner and then works back to the ball just for the touchdown. Mm-hmm. And he and Quentin puts it in a spot where only he can catch it. Um, so it can't be picked off, even if it's not a great throw. Just like it's perfect football, man. Like if USF does that, good luck. Yeah, <laughs> you, know? you know, they're going to, I don't I'm going to say they're going to beat Alabama, but they're going to beat everybody on their schedule if they play, you know, if they click in that kind of way it is some beautiful football when they're really working together and to to see all these athletes you know in space starting to figure it out you know and and being put in position to win Mm -hmm. i think that's the the biggest thing that we noticed was that you know the we wanted to see you know hashtag let him cook and they really did let him cook they did they they put the plays in that we have seen before the concepts in that we have seen before that have been so successful and getting the running backs involved in the passing game. A lot of all go. A lot of move the pocket. Screens. 
you know, things that we really wanted to see. As soon as they went empty set on the first drive, I was like, we're fine. Because we hadn't seen that in two series. We hadn't seen that in two games. And as soon as we knew that that's in the book and that's something that they're willing to go to. And I think it was actually on a first down, too, that they went empty. Yep. Uh, they, uh, who was it? They motioned uh, Dearness out left. And right. I think they, I think it might have been a draw that first time, but I think it gained, it gained like seven yards or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, it's what so we once, want to see. Yeah, and and just you know, out in space, beat your man, go by your man, be more athletic, make them cover everybody, make them cover the entire width of the field. That's what USF football needs to be with the players that they have, and it looks like they're being put in position to win. And so now, they get to do it again against the team that kept them from winning a conference championship last year. I think they're still a little mad about that. I think they are just a little peeved. I think the defense is going to shut down this offense. I think they they have so much to prove because they just got lit up uh, against Temple last year. And it's, it's night and day so far this season with how much defensive coordinator Brian Jean Mary has done to turn around – a lackluster defense to be kind. Well, they're going to get, they got Nick Sharga coming at them, who was the fullback for Temple last year, who just RIP Johnny Ward. Uh, um, poor kid. That poor video kid. is oh. the best thing I've ever seen. And I feel it, bad saying it, but it's hilarious. He just, I mean, good God, man. That, that was, oh, so that kid single handedly kept Temple in a game that Temple had no business being in because USF had more talent. They just didn't play very well. Mm-hmm. And they lost 73% of the time. If you go 7-1, and one, you'll play for a conference championship. Well, USF fell into the 27% last year. And it's unlucky, and it sucks. Um, but they are bitter. They are pissed off. They are playing on short week, which they have just come off a short week. And they're playing at home against a team that they opened as an 18-point favorite. Then it was up to 21. I haven't checked it today, but it ran up to 21 pretty quick. And mm-hmm. there's a reason for that, and it's because Temple is not good. Now, I haven't seen Temple play yet, and I know P.J. Walker's not there anymore. I know Sharga's uh, still. Philip Walker. Get it right. <laughs> yes. Sorry. <laughs> Philip Walker. Those of us are old who remember him as P.J. before he got before He got, Phillip. He got too fancy for us. He got a little fancy. Although, playing well in the league, apparently. Yeah, I think he's with the Colts and Marlon Mack. I think they're teammates now. I believe so. So, um, made the team. Congrats to him. If you had told me that guy was going to be an NFL player, I'd have laughed at you. So, um, congratulations to him. But we'll see what they do. So, what what have you seen out of Temple? You've looked at them more than I have. Uh, Offensively, they don't do much. Um, I mean, they still have Reichwell Armstead, who – put up 210 yards and two touchdowns last year against USF and broke off. I think it was three runs of 40 plus yards against USF last year. So he's still around. Uh, he is the bell cow now, um, but they're not, they're not having much success doing much of anything uh, this year. Uh, it's, it's a completely different offense without uh, Philip Walker keeping it's weird, weird enough to say keeping, Defense is honest and not being able to stack the, stack the line. Um, but it's – I don't want to say that they don't have a shot because they do because it's Temple and they still kind of scare the bejesus out of me. But this offense has taken such a step back 
they lost their left tackle, uh, Deion uh, Dawkins, to the NFL. And he started 41 of 44 games at Temple. And he was a stud, went in the second round. Um, so, you know, Armstead struggled through the first three games. He's averaging 3.7 yards a carry, 59 yards a game. Doesn't have a touchdown yet. He had 14 last year. So the running game is not clicking. They do have three receivers that are 6-3. Keith Kirkwood, Adonis Jennings, and Ventel Bryant. Ventel Bryant is the kid from Florida. Um, Jefferson. Yeah. He, he's good. Um, he's very that kid is that kid is an elite receiver. He is very very good. He's somebody USF wanted, mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, USF did not want. And now I think after seeing him play, they absolutely did want him. Um, but yeah, he was um, he's the real deal. Our, our old buddy Elliot, I think, uh, taught him in high school. Oh wow, small world. Small world. Um, so I mean, they all six three. Um, and then their speed guy, it looks like he, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah Wright has nine catches for 180 yards, averaging 20 yards a catch and one touchdown. So you have six, three, six, three, six, three, and then your speed guy is six, two. So that well, could cause, good. that could cause yeah, problems. Good. Ronnie Hoggins starting corner for USF is five, eight. So that's, you know, that's a lot of hype to give up. Mazzy Wilkins is six foot. And Dietrich Nichols is listed at 5'10 in the USF Media Guide. And, but if, he, if he's 5'10, I'm 6'2, is basically what it comes down to. And he's 5'10 in his, in his girlfriend's Manolo Blahniks. Like, there's no. <laughs> <laughs> there's just yes. no. I mean, he may be 5'10 with his dreads, but that's about <laughs> it. I mean, straight up. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I. You know, Kevin Durant is like one of the famous guys where he, he does not want to be listed as a seven footer. It's just like one of those things. He's like, no, I'm six eleven. I'm six ten. I'm not seven feet. When he truly is uh, seven feet, and this is just working the opposite way. Like Dietrich, you're not five ten, man. There's no way. Come on, man. And you know, bigger wide receivers had a field day last year against you know our corners. I don't know if it was. It's probably partly due to poor play calling and scheme and everything, but. ECU Zay Jones, who's in the NFL now, had 18 catches for 145 yards and a touchdown. CDOT's Traquan Smith, who's 6'1", had seven catches for 183 and two touchdowns. But the one that really stands out is SMU's Cortland Sutton, who's just a stud. 6'4", he had 12 catches for 252 yards and two touchdowns last year against us. Height is going to be a problem. Uh, you know, Jamon Thomas is a safety. He's 6'3". He's the biggest DB we got. And he's not going to be able to cover these guys. And yeah, that that's going to be an issue. Um, the other, But here's what gives me a little bit of hope is that uh, Rekwell Armstead ran for 210 yards against USF last year, I believe, right? Was 210 mm-hmm. his final number? Yeah. Um, he's, rushed, he's rushed for 177 so far this season. They've played uh, Villanova, Notre Dame, and and UMass, and he's got 177 total yards, and he's their leading rusher by a ton. Next closest guy only has 42. So they're clearly not the same team. And then Ventral Bryant, like I, Keith Kirkwood's good, like he certainly gives you know teams problems. But Bryant's well, he's only played two games, but he's got 170 yards already. 
and they have three guys averaging over 15 yards a catch. So they're the offense passing wise is semi explosive. Uh, throw it down the field. Throw it. And throw just, it. And go make a play. Yeah, it's a chuck it up and hope something good happens. So the quarterback taking over for Philip Walker is Logan Marchi. He's a Richard sophomore from Bristol, Connecticut. Home of the fight in ESPNs. Um, and he got some spot duty last year. He hasn't the good thing, no turnovers turnovers from him this season. Um, you know, five touchdowns, no picks, completing fifty seven percent of his passes. Uh, but you know, twelve yards of completion, which is it's pretty good. Uh, but you, you don't see the same explosiveness on uh, on offense. They're averaging 20 points a game compared to they were averaging over 30 last year. Um, and even so, with all of that said, the offense isn't the problem at Temple, which is weird to yeah. say. Yes. They're okay. They could probably get by with the players that they have, but defensively, just Yikes. this is bad. This is it's real bad. It's so bad. So, so bad. So, defensively, game one, season opener against Notre Dame. What do you do? You give up 422 yards on the ground. You give three different runners over 100 yards on the ground. I mean, they they bit the curb. (laughs) I mean, that, that defense, granted, they lost... Hassan Reddick, who was just an animal on the defensive line. And then all three starting linebackers are also gone from the 2016 team. So, I mean, new head coach Jeff Collins has got some work cut out for him at Temple because he's got to replace that cupboard, and it, it's kind of bare right now. We don't know if it's scheme or fit or he just hasn't been able to get the guys in the right places so far. But Temple's defense gave up just over 18 points a game last year and held offenses to under 300 yards. This year, 27 a game, 488 yards. Against Villanova and UMass. <clears throat> so, USF's, USF's better than both those teams. I'm just going to come out and say it. Yep. I think USF is better than both Villanova and UMass. Fight me. But Seriously. I think the Bulls are slightly better. So... Collins and company, they overcompensated for what Notre Dame did and then let Villanova, not the basketball team, their (laughs) FCS ranked D2 school like 382 yards through the air. That's humiliating. And then followed that performance up by giving up 377 yards through the air against UMass. And UMass barely plays football, too. They're bad. So the line has evened out. It opened 18. It got up to as high as 21. And it looks like it's 19 and a half basically everywhere and 20 on Bovada. Um, I, I like USF to cover. I don't, I, not just cover, but cover big. I think USF wins this game going away. I think, we're I think so, four, too. I think it's four touchdowns or more. I think Charlie <laughs> sees what happened at San or San Diego State this week. San Diego State now has two Pac-12 wins. They're against two bad Pac-12 teams, but they are two Pac-12 wins. And I think he wants to start to not leave any case 
you know, if both teams run out, if San, San Diego State runs out and USF runs out, he wants that case to be that, that USF needs to be the team that gets the, the group of five bid. And I think that's going to start to be a consideration in games like this, especially when you're on national TV by yourself on a Thursday night. There's no other mm-hmm. Thursday night game except for the NFL. And honestly, as bad as the NFL Thursday night, and it's, what is it? It's Rams 49ers, isn't it? It's like dog shit NFL football. Yeah, it's not good. It, it's like two terrible teams playing on Thursday night, and we all know the Thursday night games are always terrible anyway. So there's going to be a lot of eyes on USF. And I think putting away a, the previous year's conference champion by a big number, you know, and, and something that Charlie mentioned is that after the Illinois game, he wasn't afraid to say, you know, we, it was good that, that we got this win to put up big numbers on national TV. All right. Well, if you're thinking about it, then we're going to think about it too. And I like, uh, I like USF's chances to keep pouring it on. Um, what was the score at halftime of the Temple game two years ago when Ray J was at 51 three? Something like that. What was the score no, that half? was that was the Cincinnati game we're thinking about. Cincinnati was fifty-one three. What was the score of the Temple game at half? It was a it was a blowout. I think we just might see that again. I think USF just might pour it on. So the score of the Temple USF game two thousand fifteen at halftime was thirty-one ten USF. That was all. I thought it was more than that. No, unfortunately not. Okay. Yeah, but we were clearly the dominant force in that game and. At no point did I ever think that game was going to be close. So, kind of the same thing again. I think USF went huge. Yeah, and I mean, just to show the improvement, Phil Blocker, 20 of 48 in that game, 259 yards. Wow. So, man, what a difference a year makes and a name change. Amazing how that works. So, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Short week, I think, favors USF because they're at home. Home teams on Thursday nights. I think that's, you know, home team's worth a field goal. Home team on a Thursday night might be worth a second field goal even. I think it's, mm-hmm. it does make a big difference. Sleeping in your own bed Wednesday night, or in a hotel bed actually, but it's in your hometown, that makes life a lot easier. All right, well, not much else to say, I don't think. Uh, I think we'll continue to see USF be multiple. I think we sort of know what this defense has become at this point. Are they going to be able to get pressure with just four? If they do, they can get pressure with four. This game's over, and USF's going to win big. Absolutely. All right, so we've got a whole bunch of Twitter questions. You guys came with the fire today, Facebook and Twitter. You guys are just, you're so great. All right, this is from Andy Taylor, at Andy Taylor 6 with the bulletin board comments. Are we going to hang half a hundred on them? More than likely. More than likely. And I have those comments uh, that you tweeted out today. This is from Reichwell uh, Armstead on Nick Sharga after the game last year. By the end of the third quarter, he had USF players falling through their knees out of fear of making contact. Thoughts? Facts. Hashtag facts only. That is completely true. I don't blame Armstead for saying it um, because he wasn't lying. And then Armstead also said something else um, that I tweeted out today. The holes were wide open. Anyone could have run through them. Yes, and they were wide open, and anyone could have run through them. So you ain't kidding. But that's 
those quotes are, are going to be something that USF remembers. So I, I, they know what they're going to be in for. They're going to have to hit people. And I think they're going to hit Temple hard and early and often and try to wear them down. And they're going to try and be as physical as Temple has been with them in the past. So, yes. Yeah. So I think, do, do, I, do they put 100 on them? No. Do they put 50 on them? I think very possibly. They could definitely put a 50 burger on them. And sure. so there's that video floating around of poor Johnny Ward getting sent into space by Nick Shargo Block. And in June, Marlon Mack added Johnny with that tweet. And, you know, it was like, yo, and then some emojis. And Johnny Ward goes, blame your Uncle Woody, man. You see I'm the <laughs> only one on that side. So I think it kind of tends to lead us to believe, you know, Raymond Woody was just way in over his head last year. And, you know, our thoughts are right. The players kind of knew it. It just... Oh man, that poor guy. And then on his, he followed up. He quote re, quote tweeted the tweet with the video, and um, you know there was a hashtag. We ran the same plays. Ooh. So er, so everything we heard about that game is ringing true. So I I've heard it on multiple occasions that they kind of just ran the same play. They didn't change anything. No halftime adjustments. Nothing. I don't think there was much, you know, the players could do when, you know, their coordinator's not putting them in the right position to make plays. And you see it. I mean, this year, it basically the same same guys on defense, you know, save a couple of guys. And you see the difference already. Coach BJ's putting them in the right position. They, they care. And it shows on the field. So I am looking at a conversation that I had with a – current USF player in June, and we'll never say who the player is, but that player let us know that basically everything you just said and that they just ran the same plays is 100% true, and that there were no adjustments made. Um, and let's just say this this player was not too thrilled with uh, the defensive coordinator of his football team. Um, last season so yeah it's a it's a new day new era new look and um i'm I'm excited to see what this team can do with a a being put in positional win like it seems like they are now which they weren't before absolutely all right next question is from zach palmer at zm palm why does the offense scarcely use the tight end in the passing game? Does Sterling Gilbert have a history of mainly using the tight ends to block? Well, let's, I'll, I'll go backwards. So that first, the, the second part of that question, does Sterling have a history of using the tight ends to block? I think we've seen that through the first two games of how he lined up Mitchell Wilcox. You know, as the, the H-back, you know, that .5 set, it was having him bring, you know, blocking, which brought another defender in the box. I think that showed what he tended to do and was tight ends not going out in routes. Now, why aren't tight ends catching the ball or being used in the offense? In the few opportunities that Wilcox and Dylan have had this year, they've dropped the ball. So you're not going to trust someone who keeps dropping the ball. It's the same reason why Chris Barr is probably not going to play ever again. It's just when you continually drop the ball, you're not going to get those, those chances to make another play. 
Yeah. And with the depth that they have, you can't, as Chris, Chris Harden doesn't have a catch yet, but he's had more balls in his hands than, I mean, you know, maybe half of the receivers on the team, you know, and you just, you got to make those plays, man. <laughs> so I'm feeling for Chris Barr. I think it sucks to be in that position when, you know, we've all seen, you know, receivers at, you know, the college and the NFL level just have bad games. Well, he's strung a few together here. The problem is, is that with the depth behind him, somebody's going to jump up and take that spot. So, and it looks like it's going to be, you know, D'Angelo Antoine or Tyree McCants taking a lot of those, taking a lot of those balls now. Yeah. Uh, this is from Derek Tabor. Tabor Schofer at Derek T underscore. What are our estimates on attendance Thursday night? Great question. What do you think? Okay, so announced last week was 35404, actual 27.6. I say announced 25. Actual 17. Oh, that breaks my heart. Please be wrong. Please be wrong. Please tell me that this city cares about a top 25 team facing last year's conference championship more than that. Tell me that. Lie to me, Jerry. Lie to me. I can't. Oh, God, I hope you're wrong. I'm going to give them slightly more credit than that. And I'm going to call it announced. 28 actual oh god i can't i can't picture it under 20 because it just breaks my heart too much and i'm gonna cry so <laughs> i'm gonna say actual 20 but i announced like 28 28 5 somewhere in there but i but they get to 20 somehow some way they find a way you were pretty optimistic my man I, it's just it's i'm just setting myself up for failure i understand that but and this is a game they gotta win. It's your it's your conference home opener. This team is good. They're 17th in the country. They deserve better than this. You cannot draw less fans than your ranking. Like these, <laughs> you just can't do that. And oh, that's just it's really gonna hurt. And I'm afraid you're right. Like I haven't heard any buzz. I haven't heard people all excited for this game. I haven't heard. Any kind of, you know, I was out tonight with a couple of USF grads who were, you know, have families. And, and I was like, you going to the game on Thursday? You come to the tailgate? And they're like, uh, no, I can't. I can't. You know, we got the kids. Got to get the kids to school on Friday, blah, 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 blah. And that's so much of USF's fan base right there. Mm-hmm. And the students, God only knows if they're going to show up on a Thursday. Or are they all, what's Thursday night's the big drinking night. At least it was when I was in school. So are they going to make it down to Ray J, go to the game, and then go out drinking? Or are they going to just go straight drinking yeah. and watch I the mean, game on TV in a bar? Yeah, I think Peabody still does, like, the Thursday night beer pong tournaments. So. Ooh, that sounds fun. I, I never did one of, of those. It's a lot of fun. Um, I think it was Thursday nights. But, it, I mean, oh. but shout out to the students. They showed up real well against Illinois. Hurricane and all, I think they – I think Joey Knight said they were standing room only in the student section. So good for you guys. Way to show up. Let's hope you show up again, you know, two days from now. And, and you know, if you get a family member or someone you just bump into to go to the game. 
if everyone in the student section could get two people to go to the game, that'd be awesome. That would be nice. Just two people. I'm not asking for five. Two. And you get two friends, and they'll get two friends, and so on, and so on, and so on. It is the great USF Pyramid Scheme. (laughs) Oh, okay. So, something more exciting. This is from Cam Weed at Cam underscore Weed. Who is your favorite player? I'll go, we'll go current, and then we'll go all time. Colin, you go first. Who's your favorite current player? Wow. I I think as a player, actually, you know, on and off the field, he's he seems like a really nice kid too. Uh, I'm gonna go Tyree McCants. Yeah, you kind of stole mine. I agree. Yeah, great interview. Um, nice kid, honest, um, but really, you know, seems like he's got a really nice disposition about him. And uh, just, I love to watch that kid play football because he just hits people. Fearless, team guy you know, does whatever it takes to help put his, you know, his teammates in positions to make big plays, can make a big play himself too. Um, See, I'm I'm going Tyree currently all time. Oh, wow. I'm old enough to remember Kawika Mitchell. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we were, you know, we had, we hung out a little, a little few times in college as well. And, you know, he's closer with a couple of friends of mine than, than with me, but, just like a really nice guy. Um, you know, I had the same girlfriend who was, uh, who's now his wife and her, one of her sorority friends was a, a good friend of mine too. And you know, I think they were together the entire time they were in school, but not only just like a super nice guy off the field, but man, that guy was a beast when he played too. So I, I think Kawika probably is going to be my favorite player all time, but I'm going to go with Tyree on the current team. Okay. Current team, if you take Tyree, I gotta pick someone else. I think it might be Darius Tice. I good, think good choice. I like his mouth. I, I like mean, talking. <laughs> yes, he is a talker, and us capital J journos love a talker, and he will talk your ear off. Uh, and he, you can just tell. I mean, once he got that medical red shirt. Last season, he he took full advantage of it in the off season, in spring, and fall practice, and you know he he leads the team in rushing this season, and you see he's just running harder than I've I've seen him run before. Um, I think yeah, he's got he has 256 yards on the ground and four touchdowns that both lead the team. I mean he's uh, I'm so happy for him. He's the like. There's a lot, plenty of feel-good stories on this team, but I think he's he's my favorite one. Him and Clairvaux, I think, are the the big two feel-good stories to see those two guys get a chance to finally make a yep. contribution. Yeah, Tice yeah. got a chance. Tice got a chance to be in the league. <sighs> Probably not. Make a camp. Think he gets invited to a camp somewhere? Maybe he'll probably get invited to Bucks camp or something, something local. Yeah, um, yeah. I think. Dearness has a better shot because he's just a little bit more versatile. Uh, but I mean, he kind of needs to step it up a notch. I think we, we saw what he – I mean, the first two games probably wasn't um, – it, obviously his skill set wasn't suited for those first two games, and he kind of – he broke out as did the rest of the offense. 
last week. So hopefully they continue to do that because they can see what Terrence can do in the entire offense. All time, all time. It's a, it's like a three way tie between Markwell Blackwell, DeAndrew Rubin, and Jr. Dude, D-Rube's my guy. I love that dude. Yeah. Um, Jr. Like and Jr. Like uh, yeah. I, I I was in school about the same time as Jr. Too, so I was pretty excited to see him end up with the Eagles. That's tough. There's so many guys from that era that were just like. And Marquell was like Marquell was in school for like six and a half years. Everybody forgets this part. Like he was a gray shirt, came mm-hmm. in, then he redshirted. Then <laughs> <laughs> so Marquell was around forever. Like by the 2002 season, he knew that offense cold because he had been running it since like basically the, you know, I guess like January of '98. So I, I started following USF football uh, around like 2000. So, you know, full-on Markwell Blackwell. It's just, he's the quarterback. He is awesome. That's going to be my dude. Yeah. I, you know, and, like, and then there's the guys that we all know, like, you know, Trayvon Griffin, Stephen Bunch, guys like that, too. I always feel mm-hmm. like we got to throw them in there, too. But. All right. So, next real question. At, that is from Seth Buck, at Seth underscore Buck. Does Sharga do anything near what he did last year? I don't think he does. Nah, because they're ready for it now. I know yep. it's coming. Yeah, it's one thing to hit a guy in the mouth when you don't know he's gonna he's gonna hit you like that, but when you know it's coming, you're you're more prepared. So, and Johnny Ward's not on the field anymore. Yeah, well, he he's in space. He's still floating around. <laughs> um, this is from Kelly at Kill Crup Kelly. What is your biggest concern matchup wise with playing Temple? I think it's the wide receivers and the height. I think that's the only thing that kind of spooks me a little bit about this matchup. I am probably way too overconfident about this game. Same, and Ventral Prine scares me because that kid's really good. And he's playing in his hometown. And, you know, he'll have, I'm sure, friends and family and tons of people there, and he'll want to impress. And he's a hell of a player. So, yeah, he scares me. But the rest of them, eh. Yeah. Which, which is why being overconfident is never a good thing. But, yes, I'm overconfident about this game as well. Yeah. Uh, this is from Kevin Ellerbrock at USF Bowl 00. Over under on Sanat making 10 snaps prior to getting ejected for targeting. Oh, well, the first targeting he absolutely deserved, but the second one was so nip tuck. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think he makes it. I, I think he stays on the field the whole game this time. Just you, you don't want to be the guy who gets ejected three out of four games. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at some point, Charlie Strong's going to be like, dude, stop it. I can't feel, can't keep feeling sorry for you if you keep doing the same thing over and over again. Is it like in, in European soccer, is there like a red card accumulation rule where like if you get a certain amount of cards and you have to you get a suspension on top of it too? Yeah, I don't know, was it like three, yellow, <laughs> or three yellows in a row or something like that? Yeah, in a tournament. Yeah. Yeah. In the tournament, usually it's like two or three yellows, and you got to sit out a game. But then, like during the season, too, like in the Premier League, if you pick up a certain amount of yellows and reds, they make you sit out for a little while too. They're gonna have to put. It's gonna be called the Deadrian Sonat rule, but they're gonna have to put it in if he keeps getting checked out of every <laughs> game in the first half. Oh, that poor kid. All right. So those are the Twitter questions. Now we're moving over to Facebook. You guys really came in clutch today. All right, this is from Stuart Collins. How much of the first half last week was sloppiness 
of play versus overzealous refs? I think they sort of go together. Yeah. Like if, you, if you can't get in a rhythm and you feel like the ref's always looking over your shoulder and the game just doesn't, you know, especially the way that USF's offense is structured to be in a rhythm. Most offenses are structured to be in a rhythm. So when the, the refs are blowing the whistle every five seconds, it does mm-hmm. tend to make things. So I think they sort of kind of go together. So I'd, I'd say the refs probably get 80% of the blame and 20% goes to just the way that they broke up the rhythm and, being able to, to adjust to that, being unable to adjust to that. Yeah, I'm looking at you know, 26 first half penalties, and the game ended with 31 total. So the refs swallowed the whistle in the second half because they probably either got a talking to or realized they were probably calling the game a little too closely, and it took 55 minutes to get out of the first quarter. And they were like, all right, I got to catch a flight in the morning. I got to go somewhere. So let's try to get this going a little bit quicker. Okay. All right, this is from Matthew Cole. Everyone is hyping up our defense, and while I agree, it appears to be better than last year. I'm going to have to do this in my best SEC fan calling Paul Feinbaum. We ain't playing nobody decent, no decent offense, Paul. We ain't playing nobody, Paul. Come on, Paul. Um, well, we ain't played nobody, Paul. And guess what? We ain't going to play nobody, Paul, because Wisconsin bought us out. Yeah, we ain't, we ain't playing nobody this year. You know, there's one team might emerge out of the West. Memphis looks pretty good. So, if you know, a win over Memphis will mean something. But, but otherwise, I mean, I, I don't see anything that, like, you know, SMU was hanging around there with TCU for a while. And I'm like, ooh, look, SMU. And then they got, you know. Their doors blown off in the second half. Yeah, this is we are what we are, which is a team with a crap schedule. At least we don't have to play in UMass anymore, which is good. But yeah, that's nice. Somehow yeah. our strength of schedule went up with only playing eleven games. <laughs> Here's the next question from Eric Smith. This it, it seems like a simple enough question, but I think there's a little bit more to it. Um, he said, "What color did what color USF gear did you vote?" to wear at the Temple game. Now, USF Athletics has had some trouble this year in picking a color for a game. Um, they sent out to the season ticket holders what color to wear to every game and then just didn't advertise it at all through you know the first two home games. And I know with Irma, it kind of throws everything off, but you know, the season ticket holders, they have this stuff well in advance and I'm sure they plan it out. I think it was supposed to be a whiteout last week. So what do they do? The Florida Strong shirts are green. So the first three responses to that poll by USF Athletics were from Mike Gags. Let's just get them to show up and worry about what they wear later. From Rich (laughs) Kulak. Better question, how can we get fans to the game? Who cares what they wear when all they see are empty red seats? And then JT Vale goes, not have games on Thursdays and Fridays for starters. Well, JT, that ain't our call. So, like, you know, I'm fine with, believe me, nobody craps on USF Athletics when they deserve it more than I do, but um, I'm not crapping on them for playing on Thursdays and Fridays. That is out of their control. Uh, That is a conference decision that it's made in consultation with ESPN. So, you know, suck it up there. But as I've tweeted when I took a screenshot of all of those tweets, (laughs) when your fan base is back on their bullshit, and boy, are USF fans back on their bullshit. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like, 
yeah, we need more people. And I have serious questions about the ways that we're marketing, the ways that we're reaching out to people, the ways that we're building relationships with people. It's not good. And USF fans are pissed off. And I, I think, I think they have some cases here. You know, see if there are, if you're right and there's only 17,000 people at this game on Thursday night, you have failed in your duty on some, you know, we used to have, we had Thursday night games back in the day too, but we drew better than 17,000 for a good game. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm very frustrated with, uh, with that. And then people are like, well, just open up the doors and let everybody in and don't charge for tickets and blah, 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 blah. Well, then you're devaluing your product. And you're selling out to people that are paying the freight for so much of the program right now. So I don't know what the solution is. I don't have any good answers. I, I don't either. But I know that it's going to take more than a year. It's going to take multiple years to get us to the point where we're back selling tickets the way we need to to be a program that would look attractive to another conference. Um, and, you know, to you know, finish that point off you know they changed the stampede walk this year and then they just changed it back and they they just changed it back because i don't think anybody knew or cared where it was Uh, like well why isn't it here it's always been here let's move it back and it's just one poor decision after another for usf athletics and some marketing of this team so i didn't know about the lack of pep rallies that was i just assumed they were still going on i went to one once it seemed fine cheerleaders band you know people getting everybody fired up the week of the game like in the marshall center seemed like a good idea okay keep it going and then apparently they did one for the fsu game last year and they haven't done them since well how are you going to build a tradition if you can't like yeah sometimes you're not going to draw a great crowd but if you keep doing it over and over and over and people consistently know it's there I don't know. It it takes, it's going to take a change of the culture from the top. It can't just be from athletics. It's got to come from student services. It's got to come from residents' life. It's got to come from all different parts of the campus committing to, you know, there are great traditions at USF, but one of them is going to football games. And, you know, it can't just be, you know, the Super Bowl stuff around homecoming and it can't just be the comedy show and it can't just be those kind of events that are campus, like that are programmed by what was then the Campus Activities Board. I don't know if that still exists, but that's what it was. As of a few years ago, it was still the Campus Activities Board. Those can't be the only events that get funneled around so that all students are encouraged to go. Football games needs to be the other one. And, you know, we can deal with basketball and soccer and volleyball later. But the big one is we got to get every student that is an undergraduate that gives a damn about where they're paying tuition. that cares about the school. Football games needs to be the one thing that brings everybody together. And it starts there. And until that gets solved, I don't think you're solving anything else. Yeah. And I was, so I work at CVS and I had this girl, I was getting carts one night and I saw a USF, you know, student sticker on her car, and I, when I walk in and she's checking out, I said, "Oh, you go to USF?" And she's like, "Yeah, I do." 
I was like, oh, are you going to go to the game on uh, Friday? This was before the Illinois game. He goes, no, no, it, you know, the games are too hot. I just don't really want to. I'm like, the game's at 730. He's like, I know. It's still too hot. I'm like, come on. What are you doing? Uh, Mind you, this girl was wearing a sweater and sweatpants. It's Florida. Why do you uh, want a sweater? Well, I, I'm like, I don't get how it's too hot for you, but you're going to be wearing a sweater and sweatpants in 90-degree weather. This is what we're up against. Look, I'm not saying everybody's got to be a football fan. I'm not saying everybody's got to go to every game. But it needs to be part of the culture where students, it's a place that students want to be. And most of the other, if not all of the other programming around campus is sort of focused around this. And then go out afterwards. Do something before the game. Do something after the game. Pull it all together. Make a day out of it. USF needs to continue running buses and shuttles and making it as easy as they possibly can for people. But it's going to start with the students. It's going to start with the young graduates and get them bought into the program and making this the thing that you do on Saturdays and sometimes Fridays and Thursdays from your undergraduate years straight through until your kids are in school. It's the only way you're going to build a program. Absolutely. All right. This is going to be the final Twitter slash Facebook question of the night. Has anyone asked Strong if he's aware that the early season poor play has hurt our rankings, and now we have San Diego State down our backs? Does he have the same um, fortitude as Willie to run up the score for style points? I know that he is aware. I think he will start to open up the scores knowing the situation that USF is in. So yes, since style points are going to matter now um, with with San Diego State, you know, and by the way, I think that San Diego State team is good enough to run out. They'll, uh, did they play at Boise this year or is Boise coming to them? Um, they take, they have Boise uh, at home. Oh, it's so, oh, they get them at home. That's not good. Yeah, because they're going to beat Boise. Boise needs a quarterback. Yeah, they get them at home. They don't have a tough game on their schedule left is the problem. Air Force, Northern Illinois, UNLV. Who lost to who? Who did UNLV lose to? Like a Idaho uh, State? No, it was uh, Hampton. Or... Oh, Howard. They lost to Howard. Howard. Yes. Cam and uh, Cam, Cam, Cam Newton's little brother. That's right. Um, so all of them then... UNLV, Boise, Fresno, Hawaii, San Jose State, Nevada, New Mexico. New Mexico can be tricky, but they get them at home and they get Boise at home. Ay vey. I mean, find a loss on that schedule. I can't find one. No, and it's, <laughs> you know, it's the same. Like, they have an easy schedule and we have an easier schedule. So, at... Well, I think we, I think they have an easier schedule than we do. I think theirs is even easier. Like, you know, we'll end up having to play a tough Western at least one tough Western division opponent, maybe two. And then in a championship game, maybe even three. So we'll have some better wins, but they're, you know, find a team in here that cracks 80 in the, in the, you know, S and P at the end of the season, air force, Northern Illinois, UNLV, Boise, Fresno, Hawaii, San Jose state, Nevada, New Me- maybe New Mexico, maybe Boise. Those aren't great though. Mm. You're probably right. So, Air Force triple option, you never know. 
Yeah, and yeah, it looks like and Nevada or New Mexico runs that weird pistol slash triple option deal that's kind of funky that can give teams problems. But other than that, poof, I didn't see anything out of boys that makes me think they're any good this year either. So no. Yeah. All right, I think that that's it for the Twitter questions. Um, we- thank you all for sending them. Uh, to us, you can send them at uh, at StampedeSBN with the hashtag STDS, or you can follow us on Facebook. I think it's facebook.com backslash the daily stampede. And uh, leave us a comment and we'll answer your questions. Do you want to do a basketball too? Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. So, uh, USF skated on the basketball investigation. Yeah, and the reason man. they skated, oh, did they skate? And the reason they skated is because they cooperated fully and wholly, which take, take notes, Oviedo. Like, this is how you're supposed to do it. Okay. Um, the penalties that they had already self-imposed, which were 50 days of lost recruiting, uh, which was served last year, a reduction of 13 to 12 scholarships from last year's team and a $5,000 fine. That was considered enough. Um, this is considered a level two mitigated violation. The mitigating factors include the fact that Oliver Antigua lied to them. And then he went back and said, yeah, I lied and I'm sorry. So Oliver personally held accountable. He got a two year show cause penalty, which um, if you're not familiar with NCAA parlance, basically means nobody's going to be able to hire him until January of 2019 to work in college athletics. I don't think they're beating down his door to get him a job right now anyway. No. But what was admitted to was Antigua um, provided benefits by helping recruits be tutored by the sister-in-law of a special assistant to the basketball program, which is complicated. Basically, they were trying to get kids eligible through tutoring, which they weren't allowed to give them. And then they lied about it. And if this was all that the NCAA could prove, not that bad. Now, not other things, that bad. Not that bad at all. Did other things happen? In, under our previous administration, which might have been, shall we say, um, questionable? Well, we might never know now because the NCAA has investigated, everyone has testified, and the case is closed. So, yeah, USF basically is going to walk away scot-free here. Ryan Gregory's contract was going to roll over for an extra year if, if any sort of additional punishments were added. They were not. So he now has a, what will be a six-year contract with the university. Sounds fine to me. Looking forward to a new era. I wish Orlando and Oliver the best. Uh, Orlando is now an assistant in Illinois. And I do hope he gets another shot somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be because I still, everybody thinks I'm crazy. I still think that guy could coach. <laughs> I still think yeah. he could be a good head coach in college basketball. I would not hire, if I were him, I would, I would not hire his, my brother again as an assistant. Um, and there were probably some other mistakes that he made in terms of staffing and personnel, which he regrets greatly. But I still, I've seen him coach, man. And I've seen that guy recruit. We've all seen that guy recruit when he was at Kentucky, when he was at Memphis. So, yeah. From what I've heard, um, Brian Gregory has recruited high character guys that have won in high school. Yes. So, so that's that's all you can ask for. Just you know, show up to class and your meetings on time and know how to win. 
And I think well, that's what this program needs. It's people who know how to win and have been beaten down by the incessant losing at USF. Well, they did need a completely clean break and a fresh start, and they did get that. Um, I said it was January 2019 for Oliver. It is actually September of 2019. Um, but again, it's not like they're being down its door. The, the problem is in college basketball, and this is a horrible thing to say, but you know, it's, it's also true. If you're trying to run a super clean program the right way and blah, the right way and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff, a lot of times you don't win. <laughs> Character doesn't always win in basketball. Talent tends to win, kind, tends to win in basketball. And, but for, for where USF is right now, they need character. They need good guys. They need good APR scores to help because they're going to have some serious APR problems with all the transition in the program. And that's that's where we lose, you know, I think what Jake Bodeway left and Ruben left. I mean, that's going to kill our APR scores. Our, G, our team GPA probably went down by like half a point. And what I heard is that Ruben didn't graduate. It's not like Ruben's a graduate transfer. He didn't leave him. Speaking of leaving, apparently someone sent me a piece today about two golfers who had committed to USF but will not be coming to USF. Did you see that thing that I put in the Slack channel? There? Yes, I did. I read it. I just, uh, man, those two guys seemed like they were really good. Well, they're playing in the US Amateur, so yeah, they're really good. They made And they both made match play, which means top 64. So they both lost in the first round, but one of them, one of them just said, you know, I'm really good. I don't need to play in college, so I'm leaving. And the other kid said, well, I couldn't pass the TOEFL test, which is the test of English as a foreign language is what it stands for. And it just makes sure that your English skills are enough to be able to communicate in the United States in a classroom environment. Uh, USF requires the test, but apparently the University of Florida does not. So the kid was committed to USF, couldn't pass the TOEFL, but the Gators took him. So the next time you hear about all the great academic standards of 120 miles north of us, kiss my ass. <laughs> I don't even require the test, which I just can't even fathom how a, a major university can just like not even require the TOEFL for, it's just a basic test of English language skills. And I'm familiar with it because of volleyball players. You know, a lot of Brazilian volleyball players who had to take that thing so that we could get them in school. And we had a couple of kids that we actually wanted that couldn't pass the TOEFL and thus we couldn't get them in the USF years and years ago. So uh, as far as I always knew, everybody required you to take that test before you enrolled as a foreign student, but I guess not in Gainesville. So enjoy your golfer. Lucky. But I mean, shout out to the men's team. They won by 13 strokes the other day. I mean, they kind of crushed the competition. I think they were 21 under par as a team, which is it's decent. Not bad. Not bad. You went in by 13 shots. That's that's pretty good. So um, hopefully they'll be able to keep rolling along, even though they lost two kids um, that looked like they were pretty talented as well. Mm-hmm. So um, Jamie and I are going to try and do a gamble pod as well to get you guys ready. I am 4-0 personally wagering this season i am leading protector unit right now as well seeing it seeing it pretty clearly from a gambling perspective so far so i will not be betting the usf game this week i like usf as a side but i think there's probably even better action out there on other games so i won't be betting usf but there's some really good lines out there this week so follow me on twitter if you want free money thanks guys uh and uh go bulls 
No bolso. No bolso.